everybody. I'm Art Stevens, Managing Partner of the Stevens Group. Welcome to another in the podcast series of PR Masters. This series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations, and our guest today is somebody we can all truly refer to as a legend. He is Mark Penn, President and Managing Partner of the Stagwell Group, a private equity fund that invests in digital marketing services companies. Mark has also recently taken over the reins of MDC Partners, where he serves as CEO. Among the MDC companies are Allison and & Partners and Hunter PR. Mark's career spans 40 years in advertising, market research, public relations, public relations polling, and consulting. He's advised top world leaders, led companies, and is a best-selling author. Mark, Thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the PR Masters Series. Thank you, Art, for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great, great. Mark, I think you, you and I have met up somewhere in the past. You know, I used to head a firm called Lopes and Stevens, and uh, obviously I've tracked your career uh, over the years, and uh, you obviously have done uh, some amazing things in the recent years. Um, You've, you've spanned many industries, Mark, your career has, and you've been president of Burson Marsteller. You've been a senior officer at Microsoft. You've been instrumental in Hillary Clinton's campaign, among other top-level positions that you've held. Clearly, your reputation, Mark, and accomplishments were no small factor in your raising a ton of money to form the Stagwell Group. Question, why did you decide to go in the direction uh, of Stagwell Group at this point in your career. It's a totally different initiative for you than some of the things you've done in the past. Uh, you know, it's true, and the Stagwell Group and what I'm doing with, with MDC really grew out of kind of a rethinking process I had. I said, well, look, I had, I had started my own business. I had grown it. Um, I had sold it. I had managed larger assets. I had gone over to Microsoft and run their advertising and been chief strategy officer. And I said, well, look, if I was going to do something meaningful, I couldn't go back and start, you know, on my own in a, in a little one-room office. I'd have to now bring together the experience that I had across the companies, across the advertising, PR, and polling disciplines, and say, well, now I'll work with capital and see if I couldn't build something that uh, that would that would house kind of the newest and greatest in talent and that would be digital first and so so I told this idea one day to Steve Bomber and when Steve Bomber left Microsoft he said you know I like working with you and I really like that idea you had one day you know I'll be your prime funder if you want to do it and uh, so we told Sacha and I, I stayed another year but then uh, Steve and I kind of opened that and, and it was precisely what I said well how could I use my skills most effectively you know, given the experiences that I've had. So that's how it came about, I gather. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you you kind of uh, sent shockwaves through the PR industry recently uh, when we all read about your the acquisition and your takeover of MDC Partners, a company that had been in existence for a number of years and had made on its own a number of acquisitions. Um, Clearly, MDC was not able to straighten itself out financially, although it had very successful portfolio companies doing public relations, advertising, and other marketing communication services. Why did you go into this deal, and why did you assume the role of president with so many other things on your plate? 
Well, first, MDC has some spectacular companies. Uh, they, they're really at the forefront of modern creative uh, activities. Allison and Partners and Hunter are, are excellent uh, public relations uh, shops. Uh, and so the, the, the quality of the properties is tremendous. I could see from the outside, as, as I was building up Stagwell from a digital first perspective, you know, how to bring together companies, how to make them, you know, work more cohesively together. All of these things that I saw wasn't really being done effectively at MDC. And so I looked to make an investment in MDC. We, we eventually acquired what translates into about 29% uh, of MDC. And they said, well, look, we'll take your investment, but only if you're CEO. And I said, okay, we will will do that because I want to make sure that investment pays off. I think these are great properties here. I think what's what's weak are not the companies out there, but the center. And, and I can strengthen the center and kind of bring, I think, MDC, you know, to where, to where it should be and to where it is, you know, creatively and professionally. So how, how you, with all these uh, activities on your plate, how do you manage it all? <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting question because, you know, when I worked at Microsoft, Steve gave me an office like outside his, and, and I'm watching it, and I'm saying, well, you know, uh, boy, Steve manages 110,000 people, and yet, you know, it's 5.30, he's leaving. How is that possible? So I really actually studied how he managed his time, how he focused, you know, on the various aspects of the businesses and how he created the the, the distribution of time, and I've tried to follow the model that I saw. In fact, I'm here today on, on on a holiday, and my big task is to plan out how I'm going to spend my time now that I kind of see the various tasks. So he taught me a lot about time management that in my early days I only wish I had known because, you know, I ran around, you know, particularly in those uh, campaign days, uh, you know, 24-7. And I still work hard. But I, I try to work a lot more time smarter based on what I learned from him. So given that, you know, I guess the lament of people in public relations, particularly agencies, are that, you know, it's like a 15-hour a, a job uh, and, uh, you know, they don't have much of a home life. You know, there are a lot of firms today that are led by uh, entrepreneurs who uh, value, you know, the concept of quality of life. Uh, and, uh, and 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 try to make sure that their employees, you know, have have a, a life outside of the agency. Um, so, what what tips do you uh, would you give to uh, people who are in that position who seem to work all the time? Uh, how how do you manage your time? What what did you learn from Steve? Well, first let me say there are periods of your life when you should be all out twenty four seven. It just shouldn't be your entire life. Uh, and there are certain key periods, particularly when you're when when you're just when you're just starting out, where where I think it takes that. But I think that once you get up to a level where you've got some managerial responsibility, a team, then you have to make make the transition from it's all about me and what I do to all about how I leverage this team super effectively. And the more effectively you leverage the team the more everybody is, frankly, going to have, you know, a better quality of life, right? It's one person sitting there without work. It's another person. So what I learned, leverage the team and then really pick those things that are most important and making sure that at the end of the day you're allocating your time, you know, to your top clients, your top events, 
And, and today I think you have to be with your team more transparent, more collective in decision making, and never ever make decisions by email. You know, make decisions only when you really talk things out. Because remember, you spend a lot of time undoing stupid decisions. So, so you want to decide smarter, leverage your team smarter, understand how you can allocate the time. And, and that way, frankly, you know, I noticed when I ran Burson, too, that, that I can wind up with a more highly paid, more profitable staff, right, that had a higher utilization rate, and that that was the key towards having the money to hire the best talent. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. So all of you uh, agency people out there learn from this. So, Mark, you've been uh, around public relations for many years in various capacities, uh, aside from the other uh, marketing communications uh, uh, activities you've been involved with. How has public relations changed from your perspective over, over the years that you've been in it? Well, I think, I think, interestingly, politics and political issues have become more important, you know, rather, rather than less so. I think I observed, you know, at, at, at Burson that, we were going to go through a high phase of commercial PR and growth in digital, and I think we've gone through kind of a decade uh, of, of that kind of growth. I think we've seen the line between advertising and public relations become uh, blurrier and blurrier because a lot of you know the so-called earned media, you know, isn't getting a story, you know, uh, you know, in the Wall Street Journal anymore. It's it's getting a posting online that's you know linked, passed around, and carried. So you could you could you could publish something in a publication that has almost no readership and get a million readers, right? If if you can if you manage it correctly. And so there are capabilities now in PR that we just never had. I mean, if you didn't get in in you know 20 years ago, if you did not get placed in a few selective media uh, opportunities, you didn't get heard at all. Now you can get heard in so many different and effective ways. I think it makes the job in PR a lot more fun, a lot more interesting. So what do you see, uh, obviously, uh, uh, given this, what do you see as the future mandate of public relations? How do you see public relations evolving in the next 10 years? Well, look, I think public relations is really about helping people communicate their message you know, and, and their value, and to defend against, you know, against the attacks on that. I think that uh, the crisis PR will continue, I think, to grow as, you know, to the extent you need to be awake and on top of things 24-7. It's in the crisis areas where, where a news cycle can, can be the difference between a company's survival and, you know, online uh, virtual, virtual destruction. You know, and, and and I think PR again is going to take a, a, a an enhanced role and an enhanced meeting between the CCO and the CMO. I don't think I don't think today you know you can launch a product strictly you know out of the CMO's office without really significant PR elements and that are fundamentally whether it's a combination of influence or performance marketing and uh, and and social posts and social and social content, you know, no one today can really launch a product without cutting across the entire spectrum of communications. And and whether it's an whether it's a strategic agency like Anomaly that's doing it, or a PR agency like Allison, uh, you know, these lines are becoming blurred. But but it all has to get done. So, 
given that, I'd like to maybe uh, ask you a few questions about uh, about uh, Stagwell Group. You know, so uh, you indicated earlier that uh, you know you've been involved in a, in a, a number of entrepreneurial uh, initiatives. Uh, you know, in the, in the general sector of marketing communications, uh, you've been involved in politics. You you've led a major public relations firm, Bursa Marstella. You've worked with a, one of the top corporations in the world, Microsoft. Uh, and then uh, Steve Ballmer uh, obviously decided to support you in the formation of the Stagwell Group. So uh, you have seen, you know, various uh, uh, positions taken by the holding companies out there, um, and uh, you formed Stagwell Group. How is Stagwell Group different from other co- uh, holding companies and/or private equity firms? Uh, and uh, what do you see its role going forward? Well, uh, first of all, as I say, the, the, the Stagwell Group was formed in the in the age of Taylor Swift. And many of the holding companies were formed in the age of disco. Uh, and so there's a fundamental advantage in, in us being able to start at a later point in time, start with a digital-first conception. We could have about 70% of our revenues be online or digital in one way or another. We put an emphasis on performance marketing, on platform building with companies like uh, Code and Theory, uh, on research with Harrison and RG. We also did like public affairs and political with SKD Knickerbocker and, and, and targeted victory. But we went from a, you know, a, a data scientific approach first, given that that seemed to be kind of where the marketplace was moving. And so we got to take advantage of that. We created models that would, I think, be attractive to younger CEOs who were not retiring, but wanted something really more exciting and help growing their business. And I think. I think we've provided that. So, <clears throat> so I was pretty excited. We started it three and a half years ago. We're, we're, we'll be probably over $600 million in revenues just in Stagwell alone uh, this year. And, uh, and it's, you know, I've done my best to foster, you know, a good, good atmosphere. You know, when we, I looked at WPP, there were many things I thought they did super well, like financial management, and I thought they could improve on talent management. So I, I've tried to be encouraging of having, again, you know, strong talent, you know, be a central feature of the network, which I think also was a central feature and is a central feature of MDC. So, you know, there's the traditional, uh, you know, a holding company and the private equity firms and, and uh, what have you. Um, what What is your philosophy of the role that Stagwell itself, Stagwell Group itself, should play in the individual companies in, in your portfolio? Uh, how deeply do you get involved, or is it really more laissez-faire with some some degree of oversight? Um, I think we have a medium level of involvement. I mean, I think that uh, uh, that that we have quarterly meetings where people review their strategy uh, and what's happening in, in considerable detail. Uh, I tried to build more of a Noah's Ark so that there wouldn't be so much competition among the various agencies. Uh, the holding companies got so competitive instead of cooperative that, that I think that became a, a significant defect, you know, uh, you know, of their model. So, uh, you know, we, we work with them on major decisions. Mostly we work with them on, on you know, how are they going to grow their business, what strategic moves should they make. Uh, we've bought several bolt-ons so that they can, they can grow not just organically but, but with additional firms. 
uh, and we've tried to foster a kind of a sense of collegiality. So, so I would say we're, you know, not at the at the level of uh, of a big holding company supervision, but but not less safe there either. I think I think somewhere somewhere in the middle, really is partnering uh, with the folks in the business, usually strengthening financial management so that so that the CEOs can go out there and you know, you know cut. You know, cut cut a broad swath in the in the marketplace. So uh, I I have to assume is 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 uh, the the uh, central command uh, of Stagwell Group uh, does it function differently from any of the holding companies? In other words, what kind of a staff do you have at Stagwell Group itself, and is it lean and mean? Well, we have now about fourteen or fifteen. That accounting staff seems to grow every year. Uh, Particularly as the they have more to account for, uh, but you know one of the big differentiators is that at the top of the of of the group uh, is someone like myself and Jay Levitin and and uh, you know uh, Beth Lester Sadu, all of whom have had extensive experience in agencies and know what the job is about, understand the industry. So many people in the advertising holding business. You know, we're lawyers and accountants first, and not really experts in the industry, how it works, what it takes to satisfy a client. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, I once once went up to the when I was at Microsoft to the to the heads of one of the big holding companies, and I, and I said, well, what do you think of the Microsoft brand? And he he turned around and said, I'm a lawyer. How should I know, right? And <laughs> and uh, so I kind of said, well, if you had a group of people who weren't investors first, but really were you know, operators first, that, that, that maybe they could do, you know, a better and more, you know, nuanced job. And so that's very much part of our philosophy. I mean, could you imagine going to the, the CEO of Boeing and, and, and saying, you know, the 737 MAX, you know, what about the problems here? And he says, what do I know about planes? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. So do you take, <clears throat> is your philosophy of uh, of acquiring 100% of the companies that are in the portfolio. Uh, we we generally acquire somewhere between 75 and 100%. We we want to make sure that uh, that management, sometimes it's new management, sometimes it's old management, is is really properly incentivized. So we have some at 100, but but most I'd say, you know, are are, are in the range of 75 to 100. Now you. You have taken positions, or you you have you're doing work with uh, firms like uh, Fin Partners, and uh, obviously you've acquired some degree of interest in um, MDC, and where you now serve as president. Is this is this something that uh, is a, a, a side area of Stagwell Group because you you're not really uh, running Fin Partners? I guess you. It appears you support them in in in, in their finding acquisitions uh, to do. Can you can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, we made a a minority investment in Fin Partners, essentially to help them grow, uh, essentially to help them uh, acquire smaller agencies and put them uh, put them up, and so that they can become you know a a larger and and more powerful more powerful agency. Um, I think that uh, on the MDC thing, as I said, they they asked me to be CEO, and this is going to be the uh, enormous uh, preoccupation uh, of my time for the foreseeable uh, future, as it's, as it's 
you know, it's it's a big job. It's a great set of properties, and uh, and they've been without a CEO for the last uh, six months or so. So there's a lot of drift, I think, to deal with. Uh, you may be aware, uh, you know, the, uh, that uh, I've uh, my my firm, the Stevens Group, has done a lot of work with Peter Finn over the years. We've uh, mm-hmm. helped them make some acquisitions, and I have a very strong working relationship with Peter, and uh, he's he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a very good guy. Well, you probably don't know, but Peter and I go back to high school. So I did not know that. Class. I did uh, not know that. Uh, and uh, we have an excellent working relationship. And I think he's look. I think he's building a great firm. I think he, really you know, is. he won yeah. the healthcare, the the a huge healthcare award uh, uh, recently uh, for the firm. I think that uh, he's yeah. got some great people too in in tech practice and travel practice. And so he's building good practices. He's acquiring great firms, and we were happy to be able to supply him with the additional capital to build it out. Um. So what are Stagwell's future plans? You know, you have reached, a, obviously, a, 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 a size that's up there in the atmosphere somewhere. Um, you, you obviously will continue to make acquisitions. Um, what, what else is in your, uh, you know, your crystal ball in terms of where Stagwell uh, goes uh, in the future years? Well, right now, I think we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna focus on on a lot of what we we've, we've brought into the boat now. I think that. Uh, like I said, my focus is, is clearly going to be on MDC. I think a, a lot of the team too will be focusing. We just closed on MultiView, uh, a uh, a business that's that's interesting in that it uh, has 1,100 associations that it has relationships with, and uh-huh. and also does kind of all of the <coughs> basic work for those associations and the directories and websites, and then also does programmatic B2B. Uh, advertising, so it's a very kind of interesting thing. Uh, we've got Reputation Defender, too, which in some ways is, you know, uh, it's a different kind of PR company for people with a different kind of PR problem, namely they're, mm-hmm. you know, get their you know, trying to improve their Google search results through, uh, you know, the generation of, of good content. So uh, I think that's a kind of a fascinating uh, uh, addition. So there are a number of little fascinating things we. We even have Locaria, which is a which is a, a translation, a marketing translation group, so that they get all the idioms as, as, of things that uh, go from language to language across the world. So um, I, I think you know, but right now I think we're going to kind of work pretty intensively on the portfolio we've we've built up. You know, the the two of them together are almost two billion dollars in revenue. So. So we're 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 still uh, I don't know I can't say we're a peanut anymore compared to the holding companies maybe we're an avocado. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> uh, do you have any criteria in terms of size of companies that uh, you look at and uh, to uh, acquire? Uh, generally, generally the, the the Stagwell purchases have been in in what. What we call about the fifty million dollar revenue range, because we right. think those companies are the most poised for growth to the hundred million dollar range, and that they're genuine companies. They they don't go to that size and be a consulting shop of one or two people. I, look, I always say that eighty percent of businesses are started by one or two really smart people with some good ideas, and and they can have a, just a really nice business. You know, keeping it to 15 or 20 people, bringing in a good income, 
Uh, that's different from deciding, hey, I'm going to go out and build a scaled business. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to have this, you know, this payroll that one year might might not pay for itself. But when we lose a client, as I always say, you never lose a client till you have a bunch. Um, and so, so in many ways, you know, you get ready to deal with the problems of scale. And so we generally have looked for those companies that have said, yes, I want to be bigger. Yes, I'm willing to to put up with the problems of scale to get there and have shown at least, you know, pretty good progress uh, in making it because those are the companies where we think we can have the most impact. Do you think that that Stackwell is now a role model for other startup uh, private equity funds? Do you see any, you know, any any, uh, uh, junior Stackwell groups on the horizon? Well, you know, the interesting thing was that 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 uh, it's a specialized area. Not a lot of people are willing to uh, invest their time in marketing services. I mean, they'd much rather have copper mines or things that they can physically see or touch or, you know, <laughs> flaky products that appear on made for TV. You know, it's interesting. I, I, there's, there's not a lot of people doing it because I think these are very specialized companies. They're people companies. They're different from what a lot of investors are used to. But it's precisely because I had a lot of expertise in those kinds of companies that I was willing to, you know, take on the challenge in this area. And and yeah, I think I think that actually what we are seeing though is rather than entrepreneurs coming in in, in a big way, we're seeing obviously big companies like Accenture or IBM deciding that they're going to play in the space. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So I want to switch subjects uh, for a moment, uh, Mark, if you don't mind. Um, you have worked with a number of uh, legendary people, you know, in, uh, in 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 our world, if you will. Uh, you've worked with people like Hillary Clinton. You've worked with Bill Gates. So I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about, you know, your view uh, and uh, uh, what it was like to work with them. So let's let's start with Hillary Clinton. Obviously, she had a very tough experience in uh, 2016. Um, what would she like to work with, and and, uh, and and also, why do you think she lost in 2016? Uh, well, look, I think I think Hillary was always tremendous to work with. I mean, I was always confident she would make a, a great president. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, she went through kind of being buffeted in 92, and when I started to work with her, you know, towards the end of the Clinton administration and the 98 to 2000 period, She'd done It Takes a Village, and, and I think this was her strongest, you know, political period. We we won, like, the most god-awful, you know, Senate race in which uh, against, you know, they threw every single kind of trick of the book at us, everything they could possibly do to try to get her to, to drop out. And so she has a tremendous amount of stamina, you know, the ability to, to withstand what it, what it takes uh, out there. Uh, 2008 was just a narrow... A narrow miss, you know. We we when, from the time Barack Obama entered the race, we knew that it was going to be him or her, and it, it just turned out to be his time. Uh, actually, he he won more delegates in the uh, in the caucuses. I wasn't in, involved in 2016. I did I did 96, 2000, 2002, 2006, and 2008. So I served 13 years together with with both of the Clintons. Um, every every you know you think PR is difficult political consulting uh, 
It's a lot harder. I got through more elections, I think, with them than anybody else um, did. And I, I think I think 2016, you know, didn't have as firm a footing, as, as clear a message. Uh, I think they made a decision that they could just run negative against against Trump, and Trump had a had a a platform of issues that that people didn't understand was really taking root in the Midwest and really speaking to the frustrations that they that they felt with the political elites. Um, what about Bill Gates? <clears throat> you worked with him. Um, obviously, he uh, uh, he's regarded, I guess, as, as as one of the geniuses in the world of uh, technology and built a corporation that is uh, so widespread, you know, that uh, it, its budget is probably a lot higher, its revenues are a lot higher than many countries in the world. What was it like working with uh, Bill Gates? Well, you know, I would tend to come in to work with people uh, like Gates when they were in a, a crisis that was unfamiliar with them. So, um, so the idea that the government was going to break up Microsoft and the politics was going against them. And so uh, I came in to work with him and Steve and the executive team on the messaging. Uh, I even wound up uh, directing and writing a advertisement with uh, Bill Gates that became the sweater ad that was the antidote that we put on to the judge that wanted to uh, to break up uh, the company. Of course, he was, you know, incredibly, you know, engaged, uh, super bright, and every day at lunchtime, a hand would come through the door, there'd be a little bag, and uh, the richest guy in the world would have two quarter pounders uh, and a french fries, because <laughs> at that time, that was his favorite uh, his favorite lunch. So, um, I mean, it, it was a great experience. I mean, afterward they said, "Look, we like the techniques you used in the uh, in the in the lawsuit. We'd like to have you uh, do that uh, for our products as well." So it became my biggest client relationship. And then, when I was looking to make a change, it was the first place I called and said, uh, "Hey," and at that time, Steve Bomber was now the CEO. Uh, could I come and try to work on some of your most difficult problems? And you did, and you did. And what do you think was their most difficult problem? Well, you know, at the time they had two big problems, Bing and phone, right? And, uh, you know, I started to work on Bing and grow Bing market share, but then Steve liked the stuff, so he said, well, I'll just make you head of all the advertising. And uh, and I think, I think over time Bing became less of a priority. They decided, actually, uh, Satya did to pull out of phone, and to double down on the cloud and AI. So uh, so I think those areas that, that the companies really made a kind of a pivot, you know, deep into business with, with office, AI, uh, and the cloud, and somewhat away from the, from the consumer marketplace uh, outside of Xbox. Mark, uh, I've got a few more questions for you. I'm respectful of your, of your time, and I appreciate your, uh, your joining us today. I just want to ask you a few more Parting questions about yourself, um, and uh, you know, I I guess the first one is, um, what do you consider uh, your your greatest attribute to be in terms of the success you you've achieved? What do you attribute it to? What uh, and uh, you know, don't be modest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a basically a modest question. You know, I always tell people say, I tell them you go in a job interview, oh, just tell them you work too hard. They love that. Uh, you know, I, I think I've tried to apply strategy to outcome. That uh, 
that, that problem solving is about picking a strategy. You know, a 50-state strategy is not a strategy, right? You know, diversified any more than a diversified portfolio is a strategy. A strategy is the upstate strategy. A strategy is picking soccer moms as a growing constituency. You know, what I've tried to do is look at a problem that 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 people have been trying to solve, come up with a different strategy or solution. And I can't say it worked every time, but but it worked a lot of the times. And uh, but that has really been, you know, kind of the. Uh, you know the the best of what I've tried to do, and I I've tried to write a lot down about that process in microtrends and microtrends squared. You know that I always say numbers plus creativity equals strategy, which is to really have a good understanding of what's happening, right, and what the numbers are, and then apply your creative thinking against that. And then if you do that, you'll have a higher probability of being success. There's no guarantee of being success. There's so many things that happen in the world and tough competitors you didn't expect and financial crises that come along. But but all you can do is kind of beat the odds with a, with a good strategic method and really thoughtful decision making. And, and that's what I try to bring to things. And I brought research, you know, look, we were the original money ball guys in politics back in the 1970s hmm. when we had overnight polling on campaigns that no one else really did. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Are you involved with any other organizations beyond the Stagwell and MDC? I know that's uh, <laughs> that's plenty. Uh, that's enough, huh? And I, I thought uh, that's enough, you know, I, I do, I do, you know, once a semester, I've been teaching uh, American public opinion in the Harvard government uh, department with a with a co uh, professor. So I kind of saw, hey. They're not giving the course that I that I took that had a big impact on me, and I said I could give that course, and they said okay, we'll pair you up with uh, Professor Stephen S. Salabahari, and for four years we've we've given the course. We had 60 undergraduates uh, in the course. It's a regular, you know, government department course, and I you know can teach one semester uh, the course, and uh, I really really bring to bear you know how polling. Uh, worked with presidential decision making as kind of the, the prime area of the course, and how to be a good, how to in many ways uh, impart on people the techniques of good questioning and analysis. Would you be returning at, at some point to politics, or is that uh, uh, totally in your past now? Uh, I, I'm I'm on to commentary now. All of us political consultants eventually graduate <laughs> the commentary. <laughs> What's your view? Uh, um, uh, this is a loaded question, and uh, you know, uh, in, in 25 words or less, <laughs> what is your view on where the U.S. is currently, given all that's going on? Well, the U.S. is a is a country of happy pessimists at the moment. People who economically never been better off, but are really, really <laughs> concerned about about their institutions. Um, I, you know, I think that uh, this disconnect between the highest, the highest employment that we've ever had, and you know, more socialist candidates running than ever before, is just such a huge disconnect. So I worry, and I think it's very important for public relations professionals: are we, are we getting so good at messaging and communicating and and social media that reality can get lost in the process? I think that's my my biggest single concern. How do we we're supposed to help people find the reality of what's going on 
and I'm a little worried. And and I and you know I've been outspoken, and I saw this in the whole you know Russia collusion narrative that didn't seem to me to have much you know basis in fact, and didn't, and yet yet occupied so much of the airwaves. I hear you. We all hear you. We all hear you. One final question, Mark, if, uh, and that is, uh, how would you like to be remembered? Well, look, you know, and when it comes to being remembered, at the end of the day, your family is what it's all about. You know, I have four uh, wonderful kids, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't really think much about 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 how I'll be remembered, except I hope that uh, I'll be remembered well by them, because you know your family is what you really leave leave behind more than anything else. All right, Mark, we'll 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 cut it there. Um, Mark Penn, on behalf of our listeners, I really thank you for joining us today and sharing your your views with us. Um, and thank you all for ter- tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I am Art Stevens wishing you all the very best. Thank you.